0: This is another product innovation show with your guest host, Sergey Ross. Here we talk about everything that prevents teams from shipping a great product. And today I'm here with Kabir. Uh, Kabir is an experienced business development and product leader uh, who accelerated growth at startups, uh, but also a team leader and an individual contributor. He graduated from Georgia Institute of Technology back in 2009 and now heads product at Typeform. Uh, where he works in product partnerships function. Kabir, thank you for coming.
1: Thank you, Sergey. Thank you for having me.
0: Now, we usually start with an easy sort of questions with our interviews, but with you, I wanted to try it a little bit different and ask you some blitz questions. Uh, so one sentence, two sentence answer and see see what you, what you think.
1: Sure, sounds great.
0: What product should people start, what, what, uh, what, should what product people should start doing tomorrow to ship better work?
1: It's a good one. I think there are a couple come to mind, and maybe these are obvious, but I'm big fans of them. So first one is Notion. I like that it's default open versus default closed. So it uh, minimizes knowledge silos. And the second is more a feature than a product itself. I would say Slack Connect. I come from the partnerships world. So I think using Slack Connect functionality to stay in touch with your customers, and your partners and vendors, even it it's uh, super helpful.
0: What aspects of product money can fix?
1: That's a that's an interesting one. You know, because I don't I don't know if there's necessarily uh, something that you can't throw money at. Because I see product as a confluence of three areas: it's it's people, processes, um, and uh, um, uh, and uh, yeah, so, so, you know, people and, and processes basically and, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, tools as well, right? So if, if you identify one of those areas is not working, I mean, you can pretty much throw problem at any one of the, uh, uh, money at any one of those problems and you can essentially fix it. Uh, so that's, that's my view on it. Mm-hmm.
0: Would you at any point of product development ask users what they want you to build? And when would you not do that?
1: In general, I'm a big believer of, involving customers in the product development journey and i think there are two ways to think about it potentially in in one case you do continuous customer discovery and you understand more about your customer what tools they use um, and so on and the other is more project based so i've done this in the past where you have capacity in an engineering team and you just need to assign that capacity to something so for example at typeform we've done this to figure out what uh, integrations customers want us to build, right? And you give them a list, you do a survey, something like that. And I think in that case, it works really well. But when you're trying to do, build more visionary products, asking users is not always necessarily the best way to do it.
0: Right. Uh, what do you believe in that other people think is insane, Peter Thiel style?
1: Yeah, uh, so I have been diving really deep into the world of Web3 recently. Um, And I think there are some really interesting trends there that will make their way into Web2 in the future. You're seeing this with DAOs right now. So I think in the future, the lines between who the customer is, who the contributor is, who the employee is, who the owner is, all of these lines will be blurred. And I think it'll fundamentally change the way products are being built. Today, there's a very clear dynamic between the PMs and the owners of a company, and they're the ones that make decisions on how products should be built and how they evolve. But I think in the future, it'll be very much more community driven and these communities will also be owners in the product and they'll actually be building it all at at the same time.
0: Oh, we should actually talk. This could be a totally different episode and one that I think a ton of people will find very helpful. Now, two more. Advice to a 30-year-old self.
1: I think be bold. Put yourself out there because when you do, magic happens. So as as simple as that. (laughs)
0: What might you do, this is uh, this is uh, Tim Ferriss. He likes those sorts of questions, but I'm curious. What might you do to accomplish your 10 year old goal in the next six months if you had a gun against your head?
1: So I've been wanting to launch my own venture. I'm actually working on that at the moment. So I, I would say for me personally, that's been a, a long standing goal. So finding, I'm not, a te- I'm not technical, I'm a product guy, I'm a partnerships guy, but I don't code myself. So finding a technical co-founder and starting to hack away at something um asap i think that that would be the thing that i would do to create net new value in this world Mm
0: -hmm. right now i i want to go back at least briefly about the web 3 and web 2. what are the things that you think we're going to see in in web 2 uh, in a relatively recent future
1: yeah so i think one of the trends that there could be a, a very strong confluence in the short term is The common denominator that I've seen between the two is that communities are strong in both places, right? In Web3, everything is community-driven. In Web2, things are still product-driven, but I'm seeing a lot more conversations about finding not only product market fit, but also finding community market fit. And I think at some point, some of the mechanics from a rewarding and ownership standpoint from the Web3 world will start to creep into the Web2 world as well where I think your community is not just gonna be sort of an afterthought that you build once you found product market fit. It could be something that you build in parallel with your product and you actually make the community an essential part of your product development process, right? It's it's not just something that you're creating to help with customer support or to help with uh, marketing or whatever those things are. I think it'll actually be an essential part because you're gonna rely on this community to give you insights that you might not have about how your product should evolve. Maybe you allow them to vote on things that your your product should be working on, essentially choose the direction of the company. So I think maybe that part, that last part might take a few more years to get to, but I think maybe the potential to at least incentivize your community uh, through tokens or something like that, which is happening in web three, maybe that's some, a trend that will make its way into web two sooner rather than later.
0: Who do you think are in position uh, and maybe there are some obvious examples of uh, in position uh, companies or individuals who, who would be taking advantage of that in the future uh, who are those who are those folks that are actually getting ready right now
1: i think you need to have be a company that has an active community right because to have a community itself like it requires some type of investment in terms of tooling in terms of having the personnel to run it so typeform is a good example actually we're not the biggest company, but uh, you know about 400, 450 employees, but there is a very strong community that has been built. There are people that are focused on it, so I think SaaS companies like that that have a pretty broad user base that have an active community. I think marketplace companies will be really um, in a good position to to hit on this trend because I think there people on both the supply and the demand side of the dynamic have a. An intrinsic sort of benefit that they can get from being owners of the company as well. So I think uh, those are a couple of the trends that I've identified so far. Those are types of companies that uh, could benefit from from investing in this trend and looking into it more.
0: How do you think that um, founders and and the leadership team should look at investment into a community? There is a product aspect. There is a marketing aspect. There are probably some other aspects. What how do th- should they think about it because a massive cost, a lot of time and a lot of engagement needs to go in to actually make it work. Or maybe a better question is how does Typeform do it and what is the justification for it? And then maybe you could like answer on a general, general scale.
1: Yeah, sure. So with, with Typeform, I think it took sort of the linear path that you see a lot of other companies take, right? You are an established company, you found product market fit, there's already for lack of a better word, a distributed community that is forming around your product, right? It's a community that you as a company only interact with in in bits and pieces. So this is essentially happening over social media, it's happening in Facebook groups, it's happening over Twitter, maybe to some extent it's happening on LinkedIn. Once you start to see trends like that, it's typically when a company decides to invest in a standalone community where the company can exert a higher level of control, you can guide the discussion, you can you can foster the community in a way that matches the strategic objectives of the company. Um, for some companies, that has to do with customer support because it's just a more technically complex pro- product and maybe you're starting to invest in creating evangelists for your product, essentially ambassadors, whatever you want to call them, and they're the go-to people Instead of you having to hire an army of CSP folks to to deal with all of the issues, for others it's um, maybe to reduce the cost of customer acquisition. So I think it really depends on your on your goals. Um, as a leader, I think you know I'm I'm a big believer, as I mentioned earlier, in involving the customer as early in the in the product development journey as possible. So I think at least start to invest in the roots of a community, even if you don't invest fully in the tooling and all of that. Keep your, you know, almost create a pseudo advisory council, even if you're a super early stage company, right? And this goes back to what I was saying yeah. about Slack Connect. You could use a tool like that, that you're already investing in as a company and have a channel where you just have an open conversation with your customers, keep them in the loop, say, hey, this is what our roadmap looks like. How, what do you guys think about this? Are there other customers or other segments that you think we should be talking to Figure out some way to incentivize them to keep them, uh, or maybe you don't, right? Some, some customers are just so in, invested in your product that they're willing to organically help you. But I think fostering that motion early on can very easily then help you invest in making that a full-blown thing uh, later on once you have enough funding, once your product has found the, the product market fit and, and so on.
0: It's a little bit like marketing, right? It's like uh, a lot of smart co- companies invested into marketing way before they had the product. And they yep. invested in because they have a community. And then there are obviously benefits to product marketing and to even to product management because some, something new comes, comes up, then you have all that, that fuel versus we released it. And then you need yep. to buy ads or buy traffic and it just doesn't really work well. So there are some parallels with a community in that sense.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that.
0: Now, you spend a lot of, Kabir, you spend a lot of time on partnerships and when we caught up with you the first time, you said partnerships are very often misunderstood and let's start with that. What is the main misunderstanding and uh, what is that part that relates to actual product development?
1: Yeah, I think this is actually very similar as a topic to community, right? These are fairly, I mean, they're new trends in a way because they're being formalized within organizations. But I think the misunderstanding for for both of these aspects, I can definitely speak a lot more to partnerships, is around the measurement, right? These are not necessarily um, very well-established functions within companies like engineering or product or sales or finance, where there is this long-standing legacy of how these functions should operate, how they should be measured against, and generally what the expectation is of how they should help a company there's a cool. the playbook. There's a playbook, exactly. There's a playbook for all of those. Whereas for something like partnerships, that playbook is being developed as we speak. Uh, this is not to say that partnerships haven't been a thing. They've been a thing as long as even before tech, but definitely in tech for the last 30, 40 years, partnerships have been done. But they've been sort of ad hoc, depending on the industry that you were in. Um, there they weren't strong communities formed around us. They weren't really... Even individuals within these companies that were responsible for it. Very often, if you're a startup, you know CEO or some C-level is also responsible for partnerships. It's not something that uh, you invest full time in. So, yeah, I've spent a lot of time in this field. I've been doing business development and partnerships generally for the last 13 years. So I've seen it evolve in in many ways. The last uh, two three years I've spent in SaaS specifically, and only now are there some strong communities forming within the partnership space itself, and these playbooks are being developed on the fly. So I, I hear this come up a lot, where this is a very, very common fight that people in the partnership space have to fight internally is, uh, okay, how do, how do I measure myself, or how do I convince my CEO how we should be measured? Uh, but I think it ties in very strongly with, with product, right? It has many, many touch points, one at a high level, you need to understand partnerships help you understand where your product falls within the overall ecosystem so so i I would i would uh to quantify this right i think uh put out this business i think they call it the business at work report and Mm -hmm. this is the average organization deploys something like in in 2021 uh 89 apps for work uh right and and on average the average user will use nine or 10 or something like that. I think we did an audit at Typeform and most of us were using around 20 on a weekly basis. So that just shows you people that are in the tech world are context switching a lot. They have to, the nature of our work requires us to work in multiple contexts and tools to get anything done. So I think that's a really interesting product insight that partnerships can provide uh, by revealing to product folks where exactly your product fits within the larger ecosystem, right? So your customer is obviously using your product, but how are they? How is it interacting with the other tools that they use? What sort of workflows are they trying to enable? Uh, and I think if you have, of course, your customer can tell you that. But then if you also have a strong partnership with these other companies in the general area that you're you're playing in, you can actually work together with that company to create useful when you create an integration between two products you're essentially creating a new feature that's useful to both companies and consequently to your customer as well um try to map like you said yeah yeah exactly and i think this is something that a lot of companies i've noticed don't invest in right it's almost an afterthought it's like oh let's just you know it's thinking about just going from point a to point b it's like let's create this really simple table stakes integration that just sends data from our tool to their tool or, or vice versa and that's it, you leave it there, right? Um, but when you start having those deeper conversations with your partner, it enables all sorts of additional opportunities. You, you can figure out, okay, uh, you know, how do we make this a more robust integration? How do we do co-marketing, co-selling around it? Which, again, ties into product goals at the end of the day. You're trying to delight your customer. And I think if you have really, a really deep understanding of your ecosystem and of the way your product interacts with other products, you have a much better chance of, of delighting your customer rather than, you know, having blinders on and only focusing on on your product.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's because uh It's your, your software becomes a bit of a, a, like a bundle, right? Like if you look at how the organizations actually buy SaaS, like, like you said, it's a beautiful stat 20 apps being used, 90 apps been signed up for, and and some of them are just uh, expiring or running out of their 12 month contract. And how does that integrate to, into, into you versus one individual use case, which companies could figure out. And some actually don't, but that's a separate conversation. They only look for the buyer and then because. There are other reasons how it works, but you are talking about like zoomed out, more deeper context, uh, how does that fit into everything else? And it also probably helps with your positioning and your product marketing of like, how does that actually work? Maybe we could tweak our wording in uh, in, 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 and tweak the way that we sell it because Microsoft's been super successful with how they sold. Um, Maybe we could do something about that uh, as we speak to more partners.
1: Absolutely, yeah, I think it has, It has implications both at the strategic level as well as a tactical level like you're saying yeah from a product marketing standpoint a positioning standpoint but and i think at a higher level it allows you to understand how your product should evolve right i mean i think we're starting to see this convergence of a lot of trends if you just look at the martech landscape right i I think there are some folks that uh, yeah exactly it's it's insane it's it's insanely crowded so uh, there are very few tools that can actually say they're delivering unique value that doesn't overlap with some other partner of theirs or some other tool that integrates. Um, and I think very often companies get trapped in this mindset of always trying to evolve their features to go into these different spaces because maybe you've hit some type of um, plateau in your growth that you're trying to figure out how to expand. And I think if you have a good understanding of the ecosystem through partnerships, through integrations, you know the areas that you should expand into because you see a clear gap that maybe some other companies are trying to fill, but they're not really doing it well. Uh, Or you know areas where they're doing it extremely well, and your chances of um, upserting them is is really, really difficult, right? Like, for example, if you're building some tool for freelancers or whatnot, and you want to build a CRM into your tool, I, I don't know, maybe is that the best decision? Or are most of your customers already sending data to HubSpot, so you shouldn't bother, right? Like uh, those are the type of insights that I see a lot of companies um, miss out on, and then they they, they change shift their strategy, and um, it can have it can have obviously bad consequences uh, in the long run. <laughs>
0: Kabir, tell me about this. So let's say we have an average SaaS company, and somebody is in product. They've been charged. Go ahead and build partnerships. What should they start doing? Start thinking about. How do they need to approach partnership on a most simple uh, level? Uh, wh- what should they start doing? Collecting the list of folks, reaching out to folks. Like what? How should they think about the collaboration in the first place? What questions maybe should they should be asking themselves?
1: Yeah, I, I think. I think product folks are actually pretty well set up to do this. There's there's a lot of convergence between folks that do product and people that do partnerships. The, the, the roles really do overlap quite a bit. And I think a lot of the frameworks that product folks use can just be tweaked slightly and applied to partnerships, right? So you're already doing some type of customer discovery. Your customers start there. I would always start there. Your customers can tell you what tools they're already connecting yours to through, you know, if you don't have integrations, you don't have any partnerships today, um, maybe you've just invested in a basic workflow automation integration like a Zapier, right? A lot I've seen a lot of companies start their foray into partnerships, ecosystem strategy in this way. That in itself might give you enough insights because you can, Zapier won't share this data with you, but you could just look at, you have cards in your integration panel that point to different zaps you could just see okay what what are our customers using or just ask them through a survey or whatnot um and then once you have a list of your potential universe of partners that you might want to invest in i would create some type of prioritization framework and this will this is something that product folks are already doing right so i would look at things Mm -hmm. like what is the total addressable market off this uh, other company. There are some uh, free tools out there that I would also leverage. There's a great tool called CrossBeam that I would highly recommend to anyone, even if they're getting started with partnerships. What it allows you to do is account mapping. All you need to do is get a simple NDA in place with a potential partner, and you're able to see customer overlap between your ecosystem and a, and a partner's ecosystem, because it just sits on top of your CRM and shows you high-level match data like you have. Ten percent of your customers are, are common customers, or so on. So that's another really important signal to look at. I would look at how much is this partner willing to invest, right, in, in, in this partnership as well. That's that's key because if you're absolutely a small player and you're trying to approach Salesforce, yeah, I mean, sure, you can list yourself on their app exchange, but you're probably not going to get their attention until you do something for them or you, or you show them some momentum. So you probably have a much better shot at fo- forming an alliance with a company that's a similar size to yours maybe a little bit bigger um, uh, i would also look at the product complexity right if you're going to invest in building an integration is this a two-week project or is it a two-month project right and then weigh that against the rest of your roadmap so there are probably a few other factors like that that you could look at but that's where i would start and once you have a stack ranked list of the, the partners that you want to invest in um, reach out. I mean, people, reach out to people with the partnerships title business development title. This is literally their job, right? Even if you are not in partnerships, their, their job is to respond to people like you that are trying to create value for the whole ecosystem. And um, yeah, I, I, I think sometimes people are a little bit skittish about this. They feel like they're not the right, they don't have the right title to reach out. But uh, my experience has always been, if you send, you know, over LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever, uh, people are always willing to have a chat. And that's where you discover how to do partnerships. So that's that's how I would get started.
0: Mm. Just reach out. Just start. Yeah. Don't overthink it too much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I was going to ask you fantastic, actually fantastic amount of details. Uh, I was going to ask you big bats versus incremental improvements. If we look at product decision making, obviously it depends. But what's what's how do you think about big bats versus small? small incremental improvements like what is your what are your what is your thought process if you have uh, two options
1: yeah i would you know i would tie this back to what i've been talking about with with partnerships obviously in general this is i don't think there's any one framework that's going to work for every company it depends on what stage you're at if you're super early stage of course everything you're doing sort of is a big bet so don't don't make additional big bets <laughs> try to get some traction but if you're a more established company you've been doing the same thing for a while um My belief is always to have some capacity on your roadmap to try big bets. And the way I would tie this back to partnerships is I think partnerships can actually help you de-risk this, right? So you could think about a big bet through a partnership being a bet on an ecosystem. So you see this very commonly. I've seen it, for example, in the e-commerce SaaS space, right? Where companies are either betting on... The Shopify ecosystem, or the big commerce, or the WooCommerce ecosystem, or or something else entirely, right? Um, uh, and you're going to some some extent all in on one ecosystem. And the way I think partnerships can help de-risk this is, you can get commitments from partners. So you, you know, do this in advance. Of course, you come up with a product idea, you go through the general validation process that this is something that the market wants. Then you bring that to a partner, you show them the data that you have, and if they're interested and they're willing to co-invest with you through marketing commitments, maybe they're willing to do co-selling and, and so on, these are things that can help de-risk these big bets. Maybe you do have to spend a quarter's worth of engineering uh, resources to, to build something, but if you have a commitment to back that up, right? Um, yeah, that's how you de-risk a big bet. So, so that's, how, that's how I would approach it.
0: Now, I was going to ask you, we've spoken with a few product managers and quite often there is this issue coming up of I'm getting bogged down into small things like email slack or I'm uh, like one of the directors of product actually from San Francisco said um, he wants product people to be hunters, not farmers. A lot of times people get bogged down in this. What is what's your like, what works for you to um, be able to spend enough time on what actually matters versus reacting to things around the company, around the projects you're collaborating with, or just like emailing all the partners and keeping in touch with them, because I would assume that takes a lot of effort.
1: Yeah, that that uh, keeping in touch with partners, definitely that's a that's a full time job. Um, At least from a partnerships perspective, you see those Jobs sort of diverge over time as your partnership strategy becomes more mature. Right at the beginning, when you it's just one person doing it, you are both the hunter and the farmer. So you're both reaching out to partners, yeah, and 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 you're managing those partnerships once there's some type of commitment and that partnership is a real thing. And over time, you invest in in splitting up those roles. I think for a product person, it's it's fine to also do that initially, right? But do it you know, take, take the approach that product people take to to the product itself, uh, right? Where you you do things in a very scrappy way um, initially. You validate through experimentation. So I would do the same thing with partnerships as well. Validate that there's something there, talk to some partners. Um, if you can see some potential to move your core KPIs forward, then make a case to your leadership to invest. You, and you don't even have to start with someone very senior, right? You could get someone fairly junior to, once you've cultivated this relationship, to just take over and act essentially as a as a project manager. Um, on the topic of getting bogged down, yeah. honestly, I think that's unavoidable. At least it, uh, pro, I, I, my experience has primarily been at smaller companies. You're always wearing m- multiple hats in places like that. I can't speak to larger companies where you have you know, not unlimited, but you have a lot more resources. Uh, at a smaller company, it's impossible to to fully escape that that reality. Uh, the only advice I would have there is, if if you're getting bogged down too much, and you see that your core metrics are not moving forward, or you know, have a very honest uh, reflection session with yourself in terms of what is the true value that you're bringing to the table. Maybe that value is different. When you first started in a role versus what you're doing now and if it's clear to you then you can probably make that clear to your leadership as well and that's a good basis to maybe have a conversation with them to say hey i need to split up my role maybe we should hire someone else to do these things that i don't necessarily enjoy doing maybe i'm not as good at it uh, or maybe i'm just a lot better at doing this other thing that i started off doing so uh, that's that's how i would approach it
0: anything kabir i haven't asked you But you wish I did in this conversation. Maybe final messages to the audience, uh, anything you'd like to leave uh, people uh, on on a product side with, or maybe a final word on partnerships.
1: Yeah, you know, I think uh, the the theme of interconnectedness is. I I shared some stats with you. I think most people will relate to this just from the way they they work and the number of tools they use. I I think it will be the future. I think you're going to, we're already seeing some companies invest in positions like VP of ecosystem, right? Or you're seeing even a few, very few companies invest in a chief ecosystem officer. And I think people like this will have a very strong overlap with chief product officers. I think it will become the reality. Uh, I've heard some people call this the decade of the ecosystem because Mm -hmm. the reality is that there are so many tools being created, that trend is not slowing down. So. I would just urge uh, product folks who are your primary audience to think about this theme of interconnectedness and, and invest in it because very often it's an afterthought and I I don't think it should be. There are many ways to take incremental steps to invest in it while you're building your your core product. Don't build your core product and then tack on an integration strategy or a product or a partnership strategy afterwards because uh, your customers will realize it, your pa- partners will realize it. and uh, I think you ultimately you just won't get the same value out of it as if you think about it as being core to your product. So yeah, that's 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 what I would share.
0: Thank you, Kabir. There you guys have it. Think about the ecosystems. Listen to this podcast. uh, Go check out all the tools that Kabir just mentioned. And uh, you should be in a good shape when the Web 3 comes up and the communities matter a little bit more. Kabir, thank you so much. Thank you guys for listening. We're out.